at Sif Pop. We're your movie friends. But are friends really friends? If you don't know them, so grab a popcorn and head over to our row so we can chat movies like friends do. There's always room for more movie friends. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the writer's room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And today, just like Ray was joined with all of the Jedi, I am joined by all of the Sif Pop writers. We write for SifPop.com, providing you with movie reviews, best ever challenges, and other interesting movie-related columns. So make sure to check out the website SifPop.com to keep up with everything we have going on there. Speaking of which, we have the Sifties going on right now. So this episode is going live to the public on Wednesday, January 17th. And we were running this uh, thing every year that we've been doing um, since I've been uh, part editor at SifPop.com. I think it's been going on since before then. But we are giving our top 10 awards. We are giving five nominees and one winner voted on by the SifPop writers. So... On the site, at this moment, you can currently check out TV Ensemble, TV Performance, and TV Show. Those went live on the 15th, 16th, and 17th. And uh, starting tomorrow, if you're listening to this to the day this drops, you can check out on the 18th, 19th, 22nd, 23rd, 24th, 25th, 26th, Best Motion Caption or Voice Performance, Best Film Ensemble, Best Audio Experience, Best Visual Experience, Best Narrative Experience, Best Film Performance, and Best Film. So, all that on the website... All week, this week, all week, next week. On that note, I also just wanted to briefly mention the reason why we have so many different awards thing. Uh, because there is the Sifpop Sifties, there's the Sifpop.com Sifties, and there's this episode. So the Sifpop Sifties is done by Aaron Dicer and Andrew and Phil and all those guys that do the podcast stuff. And they invite all the writers to contribute um, to the overall cumulative scores at the end. As well as all the gurus, so people that are featured on the podcast but not necessarily the website. But most of that live show, which by the way, you can catch streaming this Friday morning at 9am Central Standard Time. So that'll be January 19th. You can check it out over on YouTube or Twitch for Aaron Dicer's platforms. Or you can check it out later in the podcast feed, just if pop. Most of that episode, though, is just going to be the opinions uh, expressly and solely by Aaron Dicer, Andrew Ormsby, Robert Buffard, and me. So uh, that is strictly just our things. And then there is some cumulative results that are for the entire SIFPOP community. The SIFPOP.com SIFTIES are exclusively picked and voted by and ranked based off of the SIFPOP writers. And this episode is each writer getting their chance to submit their top five films and maybe a little bit extra if they have some time. I've given them a time allotment. And if they're able to squeeze in extra thoughts, I said, you absolutely go for it. So... There will be some writers here that are that mention some other things uh, as well as their top five of the year, but at least we will get all of those. So uh, that's what this episode is, um, and so we will get there in just a minute. But first, I wanted to give a quick Patreon shout out. You can check out this episode early on Patreon, Patreon.com/sifpopwr. And you can check out every week's episode a little bit early because I put it up whenever I get it done and then it's just completely free to the public on that feed. And you can check out the episodes wherever you listen to normally uh, by, by copying an RSS feed or just wait until Wednesday. You know, whatever is fine with me. I am doing this show because I love doing this show. And however you want to experience that is however you want to experience that and enjoy that. So thank you for listening. And um, with that in mind, we're going to move on to getting to those writers' opinions. But real quick, a little bit important distinction here. 
because this podcast is really featuring people who are just sort of regular people, like we don't get necessarily special access, at least most of us don't, um, We're I've kind of made the limit to this year's films need to be films that we all could have seen in a theater this year, whether you're like me and you live in Iowa or you live in Canada or I know that international distribution gets a little bit wonky sometimes, so our international friends sometimes do get the shaft in that regard and I do hope that changes because I would love for them to be able to experience this the way that the rest of us do but I also know that they're putting out some really quality um, lists together as well Um, but just that note so honestly like the big notable film this year that I think will not be included there's two um, that I that I've said hey you can't really include that this year and that is the zone of interest which got a limited release in New York and LA last year and doesn't go wide until February so the fact that it might make one or two people's list but the rest of us can't see it I'm just gonna say they can count it in 2024 so uh, they can wait for next year and if it's still at the top or near the top absolutely but to me that's a February release that's not a 2023 release for the audience that this podcast is for and the audience that this podcast consists of so um that is the big one and then all of us strangers was also not released publicly until after the new year i don't even think it's around me for another week so um that's just one of those that i'm gonna just say wait till next year if it's still gonna be at the top for our writers so that's why you'll hear a lot of a buzz about these movies but you won't hear them on this particular podcast episode one of them that was kind of on the border was american fiction and i think that had enough of a release that it, that a lot of people had been able to see it. it just didn't come to me so i'm gonna kick off my list of notable films that i haven't seen this year that could be somewhere on this list by kicking us off with American fiction. It only opened in theaters this weekend, but obviously I'm getting this episode ready and working. I just didn't have time uh, to get around to seeing that movie, especially because I'm in the middle of uh, Blizzard with negative 40 degree wind chills. So I'm not really trying to go out right now. Other notable films that were on my watch list that I wanted to get around to seeing, but just didn't yet um, for one reason or another would be Ferrari, May, December, Merry Little Batman, 1001, Rye Lane, She Came to Me, Nimona, The Boy and the Heron, Polite Society, and Monster. There's also a bunch of films that I haven't seen, but I've also just kind of decided I'm not trying to see as much anymore as I used to. Uh, I still would love to see everything that interests me, but if I just don't think a movie is going to be for me, or if I just don't think that the response to the movie has been what I'm hoping for, I just am not going to waste my time with that, especially when I could watch something like May, December, or American Fiction, or 1001, or Boy in the Heron, or something like that. So I just put together, I think three is about all I could come up with, but uh, I haven't seen Napoleon, I haven't seen Bo is Afraid, and I haven't seen Infinity Pool. And I don't plan on it. I don't think Bo is Afraid is going to be up my alley, but I could see it making somebody's top five, and I could see it making your overall categories. Napoleon, I don't think is going to make anybody's list for anything except for maybe when the director's cut comes out in Infinity Pool. If you're a horror fan, I'm sure you love this movie. And I like horror, but not not that kind of horror. So uh, maybe those would be on the list here for you. Um, so just notable films that maybe you're like, why is that missing? Or why did Aaron not mention he hasn't seen that? Anyway um that's that's that so without further ado here are my 23 2023 movie opinions so uh we'll start off with biggest appointment i really only like to have one negative category and i feel like disappointment isn't necessarily a negative it just means i wish this movie was better or expected this movie to be better i'm going with indiana jones and the dial of destiny because while i think it's a fairly fine movie and i think i liked it maybe a little bit more than the general audience 
I was just really excited for this movie. I mean, I really liked Indiana Jones um, 1-3. I liked Kingdom of the Crystal Skull at the time. I think it, I'm maybe a little bit more on pace with everybody else now, but it may, I don't know. I think I'm still a little bit higher than everybody else. But you got James Mangold coming in. I just, I was, I, I thought this movie was going to be really great and totally redeem uh, all the, like, sour taste left in our mouths after uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And I think the movie has some really fun ideas, but it's definitely way too long and ultimately just not quite capturing that original magic. So... Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Movie that I wish was a documentary instead. Um, I'm going with Blackberry, and here's the reason. I think Blackberry is actually a really good movie with excellent performances. I thought about going Tetris here, but I think Tetris is kind of living in its own world, and it's actually kind of fun the way it is. It's certainly not perfect, but I do kind of really like what it's going for, especially because the movie is kind of flubbing the truth a little bit from my understanding. So, Blackberry, on the other hand, is a movie that I think is really engaging and really riveting, mostly because of the performances. My problem, the reason why I picked this one to be a documentary instead, is I think this movie is just missing a soul. And that's my only problem with it. I don't really get the why. I get, it's kind of like a factual here's what happened, and it kind of jumps around to where it needs to be for the narrative, but it's missing that soul that something like Social Network has, or something like Moneyball, and I guess I can name another example that isn't an Aaron Sorkin movie, but um, it's it's just kind of missing that soul that biopics have, you know, maybe something like Straight Outta Compton, or, or, or maybe it's missing that interesting visual flair, or um, the way it's presented, like Rocketman has, so ultimately, if you're gonna make a straightforward, factual movie, with um, some really, com- you know, I'm glad we have the performances, but if you're going to make just a straightforward factual movie that in my opinion doesn't have a soul, just give me a documentary. And honestly, like maybe the soul comes from there, but at least I know more what I'm in. So uh, we'll go to overrated pick a movie that I do think is good. I just don't think it's, I like it as much as everybody else. I'm going with Killers of the Flower Moon here. It's a movie I liked. I think it's really good. I think it's technically really great. I just don't think it needed to be three and a half hours. I didn't feel it. And ultimately, I think I've said this before on the podcast, I really wish that the film would have focused primar- primarily on the people who it affected as opposed to being focused on the bad guys, which I know is Scorsese's thing, but I really feel like he's had a shift late in his career you know, with, some, with stuff like The Irishman. And I just wish that this was primarily focused on uh, the victims as opposed to the killers so which i get like killers of fire moon you know right uh but i um i just think if that if that if that would have been the change i think this could have made my top 10 of the year but instead it's sitting at like 35 which i still liked it's gonna get a best picture nomination and i'm not gonna resent that because it is good and it is important and it has excellent performances specifically by lily gladstone but it's it's not that good to me, you know. Um, it's um, it's a movie I can res- I can like and maybe even somewhat respect, but uh, not quite the five star movie I think a lot of people. Um, and that's okay. That's just these are just my opinions. Remember that most forgettable movie of the year is The Exorcist. Believer. Now I say most forgettable not because it's the worst of the year, but it's just like a movie that you'll be like, oh yeah, that came out you know in five years. And I think uh, The Exorcist. Believer is that pick, especially with its proposed sequel now not having David Gordon Green attached and. My guess is they just scrap that all together and don't really worry about making Exorcist Deceiver. But I I really liked the first Exorcist, like the original. I, I watched it for the first time, you know, the day before going to see this movie because the trailers got me hyped. And of course, that theme music is just excellent. But it's just kind of a nothing movie. It's it's totally fine. It doesn't do anything that really kind of tips me towards the good sale. But it's it's not egregiously bad or anything. It's just fine but it's safe and i don't want that from my exorcist movie so it's the most forgettable of the year and i think in five years we'll all be like oh yeah that was a movie that came out forgot about that so movie that has the most potential to climb my list oh boy uh i put three here down and didn't edit it down because i'm just not sure 
Um, which one is going to be, uh, I put Maestro, but I don't think that's going to be it. Uh, and I did put Past Lives, but I think that's a movie that's going to grow on me, but not necessarily climb my list all too much. I think Bottoms is the right answer here. I have Bottoms relatively low, uh, 35, um, but uh, I, th- I think Bottoms is going to be a really fun rewatch and a really fun kind of knowing what you're getting into and just living with it and having fun. I think Bottoms is a really fun movie. I think most potential to climb my list if when I get to see it again, especially when I'm not rushing to see a ton of years. So there's that. Uh, underrated pick. I don't know that I really have like a great answer for this one because I generally think most of the stuff I've seen has been relatively fairly rated. I could have picked something that was middling that people just like really didn't like for some reason. Like, I don't know, maybe Transformers Rise of the Beasts or something like that. But like that doesn't really like I'm not, I'm not a huge proponent of that film. I thought about Extraction too because I think the camera work is really good. But I still don't know that that quite like justifies this pick. I'm going with Creed three and here's the reason i think people really like or love creed three but i'm gonna spoil like this podcast here for just a second uh, my top 10 ranking i have this at number six of the year i think this was an excellent film and has stayed in the top realm of my film since this one came out in march and that is like quite the accomplishment and my guess is this is the only mention of creed three that we'll get today so uh, on this podcast so that's why i'm going with underrated pick biggest surprise of the year I got to go with To Catch a Killer, which has kind of been the Sif Pop writers have been um, really kind of backing this movie uh, in the last couple of months. I think it's got some really excellent um, way that certain scenes are shot, especially the traumatic ones. And I think it's a really good, it's not necessarily going to surprise you in terms of like story turns and whatnot, but I think it's just a really well-crafted, really intense cop manhunt thriller so check it out on hulu uh the funniest movie of the year uh i put three because i typically do because comedy is subjective but the ones that absolutely made me the giggle most in no particular order are poor things barbie and no hard feelings three movies that absolutely split my sides um ask me any given day and i would answer um one of those three i'm sure but probably not the same one so there's that uh we're about to go on a train here because best score i have poor things here i just love the weird vibe um, that uh, Yorgos Lanthimos does with this movie. I know he's the director, not the composer um, or or writer, but I just like I, I think that the score perfectly gets his vibe, perfectly gets his um, his vision, his tone. It's it's just a weird little movie that I'm just really into, and I think the score composed by and forgive me for my pronunciation, but uh, Jerskin Fendricks is. Just incredible, and I would love to see it take home like some awards. I don't think it's going to, but it's it just kind of perfectly capt- captures it. I think that was great. Um, speaking of Yorgos Lanthimos's really weird vibe, best cinematography, I have Poor Things. It's just like, it's maybe the most flashy, um, aside from something like uh, Maestro, which is also flashy, uh, and I really enjoyed the cinematography there. Something like Oppenheimer is great as well. It's probably going to win the Oscar, but I just, I love looking at poor things. It's a movie that's probably a little bit too long, definitely a little bit too long. It's not quite perfect, but it's perfect for me because I just can't take my eyes off of the screen. I can't, you know, not you know, be totally enveloped in this film while I'm watching it because of the score, become photography specifically, and because the performances are great here. So I have the best villain of the year being Mark Ruffalo uh, as uh, Duncan Winterbird, who is just a really fun villain. He's like very mustache twirly, but he also like the bait, like the way that he's kind of defeated is like emotionally. And it's just because of Emma Stone as Bella Baxter's really just reluctant, like, um, free spirit and childlike wonder of the world. It's it, it, he's he 
likes her for those exact reasons, and then it winds up being the bane of his existence and kind of ruins himself. And is he's just giving an excellent performance too, which really sells it. He's he's a very very terrible dude, and I just. I loved uh, every second of Mark Ruffalo on the screen in Poor Things. Best animated film. I uh, can't give poor films to that. Uh, poor things to this. So we are uh, we are officially off the poor train. Poor things hype for a minute. But best animated film has to go to Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. Again, I haven't seen Nemoto, which I think is a dark horse for a lot of people. Um, but I don't know. Ne- not necessarily terribly strong year for animation. I mean, we got Spider Verse and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But then like it's a it's a pretty big dip for me. Like then we got Elemental and. I don't know. Did anybody like anybody? Uh, the Super Mario Brothers is way down the list for me. I, like, I don't. Nobody liked Disney's Wish. I don't. It's just like maybe there's one or two that I'm missing, but um, um, I, I'm I'm not saying that these animation. It just feels like we normally get a lot more, and I'm not necessarily saying for more. I just uh, um, I I could have easily picked something else instead of Across the Spider Verse here. Um, if there would have been a standout from last year. So, uh, so I just, uh, um, I do, I am picking across the spider verse, but I am on team. It's, it's half of a movie. And for that reason, I don't necessarily want to pick it, but I am picking it. So, uh, for best performer of the year, I do this by, um, I do two performance awards. I do one singular performance and I do performer of the year kind of based off of their, um, filmography for the entire calendar year, whether that be a cameo or, um, a lead role or whatever that happens to be who had who is going to come out and you're gonna be like oh that was all in one year who's going to have that 1994 jim carrey dumb and dumber the mask and uh ace ventura pet detective you know who's who's going to have that when we look back in five years and my pick i've got to go with ao edabiri i uh i think she's really great in bottoms um she's a lot of fun in bottoms she has a very limited role but i really like her in theater camp and she's the voice of april in teenage mutant ninja turtles and all that is when you take the bear completely out of the equation you only focus on her films um again relatively small role in theater camp uh and it's a voice role in teenage mutant ninja turtles um but she's really fun and bottoms and she's maybe not even the best part of that movie um but anyway she had a stellar year and again if you want to throw in the bear that's just the cherry on top really solidifying her as to me like 2023 is the year of Ayo Edebiri, just like 2022 was the year of Jenna Ortega. Um, so love seeing that for her because I adore her as an actress. So there's that. Best performance of the year is Emma Stone for Poor Things for me. Um, I think she's just perfect. It's easily her best performance of her career. And obviously to me, the best performance of the year. I think she captures that childlike wonder just remarkably well. And she uh, manages to really animate this Bella Baxter character, which yes, is a play on the plot. So Sorry for the pun, but not sorry. I just, I think that this movie almost lives and dies based off of its lead performance. I think there's lots of things that could go really along this movie and every decision I think was actually great uh, because it's just so like weird and out there. But I think that this movie is nowhere near as good if Emma Stone is not as good as she is in the movie. She really, to me, puts this movie over the top. So um, there's that. Acting ensemble, it, it, it just has to go to Oppenheimer. And while there's a ton of great contenders for this, could be poor thing, or uh, could be poor, poor thing, sure, could be color purple, um, could be um, the holdovers, or even theater camp. But look, you have Cillian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Robbie Downey Jr., Alden Ehrenreich, uh, Scott Grimes, Jason Clark, um, Kenneth Branagh, uh, Florence Pugh. I'm sorry if I'm repeating some of these. I'm trying to just go down IMDb. Alex Wolf, Josh Hartnett, Jake, Jason Zuckerman, Rory Keane. Um, Desmond Dalmachian, Matt Damon, Dane DeHaan, Josh Peck, Jack Quaid, Benny Safdie, 
Uh, Rami Malek, Oscar winning Rami Malek, which I know we all agree probably maybe not should have gotten that year, but still Oscar winning Rami Malek in here for a line, right? And we have Casey Affleck thrown in here as well. Essentially, any white guy that's ever been in Hollywood is in this movie. Um, and it's, it's, it's ultimately not to the movie's detriment because they're getting really quality performances from really key people. Even if it's just for one line, you know, they're going to kill that one line. So, um, I, I just love, um, I just love the, the cast for this movie. I think everybody works really well because that's the other thing. This isn't just casting A-listers for A-listers sake, but they do actually really lose themselves in their characters and they are each giving excellent performances. So it has to be Oppenheimer. There is no competition. I think we all knew this was coming at the start of the year. And, um, there we go. Uh, best title. This is a new award that I'm giving out. I'm going pe- with past lives and I literally just finished this movie. And, um, so that's kind of where, where I, uh, where I decided to play this in. Cause I'm like, I have to get past lives in here somewhere. Um, because I really did love that movie. Um, but I think, Especially by the end of that movie, I think it's a really incredible title. It's simple, but it's also unique. But the way that the title contextualizes itself in the movie and then recontextualizes itself in the finale is just kind of incredible and easily the best title of the year for me. Uh, the best scene, I'm going with the final scene from The Color Purple. Um, the pic- the Easter, the picnic scene, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think it's just remarkable. And I I don't know that like there was a particular moment that I was instantly, like a lot of years, I'm like, oh yeah, easily the best scene. Um, th- this one took me a minute to think about, but I think it's because there was a lot of great scenes this year and I really wanted to deal with which one is the best. And to me, the color purple finale really drives home that movie because it's, it's just this like emotional journey, the highs and the lows for two hours. And we get to this and like, you're, you're welling up with tears. And I, I just have this feeling like I'm ready to unload. I'm ready to just ball my eyes out. And the final scene happens and I just lost it and I saw it with me, my wife and my in-laws and we were all four just weeping in the theater on a Saturday morning. It was, um, it was, it was a really incredible scene and I, I loved it a lot. So, uh, best moment of the year. This is not coming from the color purple. A lot of times those do happen to intertwine, but I'm going with guardians of the galaxy volume three. I'm going to go with, um, I'll call it rockets reunion. Um, but the thing I wrote down was a quote, which just says, uh, it's always been about you. I think it's just a really excellent, like little bit that really, um, drives that movie home and makes the movie stand out. It's, it's, it's the point of the movie where I'm like, I just adore it. I don't think it's the best of the trilogy. It might honestly even be the weakest of the trilogy, but you know what? The worst guardians movie is still better than most definitely comic book movies and most MCU movies since you know, Avengers Endgame or whatnot. It's just a, um, a really great movie. And that to me is a really special moment. Uh, the movie that I think I'll watch the most, I think this one's always interesting because it's frequently not the best movie of the year or my favorite movie of the year, but it's one that I'm like, oh yeah, it was like somewhere in the 10 range, but it's super watchable. And I'm going with theater camp, uh, movie that uh, like a brisk 90 minute mockumentary comedy style. That's just a blast. Uh, yeah, I'm going with Theater Camp for the movie that I think I'll watch the most between now and the time that I die. Uh, the movie that will stick with me the most, here's also where I have past lives already. Like, I, I just love this movie and I love thinking about it and I would love to revisit it um, here again pretty soon. I just think it's one of those movies... 
that because it's not necessarily trying anything flashy or special, but it is special, and it's maybe the most human story that we've gotten in a long, long time. I don't. I mean, at, l- at least since the holdovers, which was forever ago, you know. To, and obviously, it's a joke anyway. But uh, it's just—it's a very human, a very raw movie that I really loved, and I think it'll wind up sticking with me. Um, now on to the best and favorites, uh, the final three awards uh, opinions to give out here. Uh, to me, the best TV show. This is the one TV show award. The best TV show of 2023 was The Bear. Uh, and it wasn't even close. I mean, I I was a huge Barry fan, um, and I love season four. But the Bear season two is some of the best TV I've ever seen, and um, I've already contemplated about rewatching it like six different times since finishing it a couple months. So the Bear is the best show of 2023 to me. So uh, best movie of the year. Now I take best and favorite because your know, favorite is the one you enjoyed the most, and best I think is like maybe like the most deserving of something like the best picture award. I'm going with Oppenheimer for both actually sometimes it winds up being both sometimes not so much um i really do um try to judge movies by favorite instead of best anyway um on my scale but uh, i think oppenheimer is um a really great movie it's really well edited and shot and performed and it's a great story it's got a great narrative um i i just uh, it's a three-hour movie that really felt shorter than a lot of movies um this year that were in 30 minutes shorter so um, I really loved um, watching Oppenheimer, and then I, I think Oppenheimer is just an excellent movie with um, some really great uh, everything. Um, it's my prediction for the Best Picture winner. I think it's most people's, and you know it'll be well deserved. So there's that. As a bonus, my favorite first watch of 2023. This isn't a first. Uh, this isn't a 2023 release, but it is something that released previously that I watched for the first time. I'm going with The Kid Detective. It wound up being really great for me. So. There's all my movie opinions from this year. Real quick, my top uh, 10 films from the year wound up being uh, The Color Purple at number 10, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 at number 9, The Holder 8, Theater Camp at 7, Creed 3 at 6, Saltburn at 5, John Wick Chapter 4 at 4, Barbie at 3, Poor Things at 2, and Oppenheimer at number 1. Now, I am sick of talking and I'm sure you're sick of hearing my voice, so I'm going to turn it over to our Sif Pop writers. We have some new writers, uh, that two new writers that are... Uh, in the mix and some returning writers so everybody's going to be alphabetized all together there were uh, a handful of writers that for one reason or another weren't able to submit this year illness job change um busyness of the season all that it's all good so um adam alice chris uh christian diana frank jeff joe jonathan joseph Kristen, matt may and patrice all were not able to submit this year our two new writers are another chris chris morvila and um uh jake york so a Chris and a Jake, um, but not the Chris and the Jake that you guys already know and love. Uh, as far as returning writers, um, Austin, Chantal, Foster, Heath, Jack, Jacob, Jake B, uh, Jason, Jeffrey, John, Caleb, Luke, Mike, Nash, Nick, Robert, Rowan, Sam, Scott, and Shane all were able to submit. Um, so you will hear from all of those new writers and recurring writers in alphabetical order. They will give their top five films of the year. And I will see you back after we hear from them to kind of conclude um, with a definitive ranking from what they had to say and do a quick uh, thank yous and wrap up. So I am tired of talking. Austin, why don't you take it over? Hey guys, my name is Austin Terry and you can find me and follow me at on any social media at Green Arrow 07 and here are my top five films of 2023. Number five is A Man Called Otto. This film was released earlier this year. Uh, Stars Tom Hanks as the titular character Otto. This is a really interesting film, and I 
thoroughly enjoyed it. Any film that will make me cry and will end up high on my list. This is also the film me and my best friend Chris saw for our friendiversary and 10 years. And uh, we both enjoy this. We both clicked to found family films very well. And it's a very good movie. I hope more people get to see it. Uh, number four is Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. There were a lot of superhero movies released this year, a lot of Marvel projects released this year, and I had to go with Guardians Volume 3. The Guardians films have been some of my favorites in the MCU, mainly for the incredible soundtracks, but Volume 3 takes the show with one of the most uh, amazing stories from a comic book this year, and again, an amazing soundtrack. Gunn did a fantastic job closing out the Guardians story, and I look forward to his next projects. And I hope that Marvel doesn't just shelve the Guardians and only bring them out for the Avengers movies. I hope they get another couple movies with a new team that they've set up. Finally, number three is Barbie. Uh, possibly one of the most controversial movies of 2023. And one I did not see in theaters and didn't think would end up anywhere on my list because it didn't really interest me but i absolutely loved it when i watched it at home i fell in love with mainly all the actors who are in this movie america ferrera margot robbie ryan gosling shitagawa all of these characters are fantastic and i just loved the, this story it reminded me of playing with my own toys at home when i was a kid Everyone did a fantastic job, and hopefully one day that Ken song will get out of my head, but it's not likely since I use it as an alarm tone to wake up to every single morning. Uh, number two, no surprise, because I love Nolan, is Oppenheimer. There's, there have been a few Nolan movies I have not seen yet. They're high up on a lot of people's lists. I will get to them eventually, but I enjoyed this movie mainly because it's a talking story, and what I mean by that is it's not a bunch of people going from action set piece to action set piece. It's people in a room discussing what's going on, and they get to emote and prove how good of an actor they are, and that is one of my favorite reasons I love this movie. Not saying that the visual effects and uh, practical effects that Nolan uses here aren't good. They are phenomenal. It is breathtaking that this, of this film, and it's one that I did buy on Blu-ray for this year because I want to watch it again and again. Murphy, Downey, Damon, and Blunt, and Enric, to name a few. There's such a long list of people that are in this movie, but to name those as a few, they were brilliant here. Just brilliant. And honestly went to see the movie just for them can't wait for what nolan delivers next because these are some this is a fantastic story for one of the darkest times in america and the history of the world finally number one no surprise is uh spider-man across the spider-verse lord and miller deliver again one of the most fantastic comic book movies of the year one of the most fantastic animated movies of the year the animation here is phenomenal and it really amazes me how they brought this film together to look as amazing and good as it is the voice cast is phenomenal uh, Gwen and Miles are amazing characters I love their story and I can't wait to see more of their story I can't see can't wait to see how Gwen saves Miles and how Miguel ends his reign of whatever and see how this story ends and so thank you uh, and that was my top five Hey, how's it going, guys? I'm Chantel Ashford. I am a contributing writer for Soup Pop. And if you want to give me a follow or two, check me out on Letterboxd at Edna Mode and on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Akira for Akira XO for everything pop culture or just for a few laughs. Before I get into my top five films in 2023, I just wanted to say goodbye to one of my favorite drama series, Succession. So long and farewell to those Sunday nights at 6 p.m. So long to the sensational theme and score that talented Nicholas Bertel provided. So long to Kendall Roy screaming he is the eldest boy, which actually, it's Connor. And so long to the disgusting brothers and, of course, Tom's abuse of Cousin Greg. 
So long to the middle child syndrome that is Roman Roy. Long live my short king. So long to the best Bob to ever bob it. <laughs> Shaban's Bob. So long to the former CEO of Waystar, Roy Coy, and the patriarch of this unhinged family. The L to the OG, Logan Roy. Thank you to the creator, Jesse Armstrong, and the Succession cast for going out with a bang and keeping me yearning for more seasons to come. And also, I just want to give a shout out to the creators of Invincible for making us wait two years for the second season and only providing us four episodes just to give us the last four in 2024. We know there isn't a date yet for the next four. I know they're coming, but your girl is impatient. Now, here is the moment we've been waiting for. Here are my top five films of 2023. We're going to start off, of course, with number five. The Color Purple, such a beautiful retelling, and the music was a nice cherry on top. The performances were amazing. From the cast, and even with this being another telling of this classical film, it will be another remake to go down. Number four, we have The Iron Claw. It was one of the most harrowing experiences I've ever had at a movie, but it was such an amazing feature about the family Von Erichs. Zac Efron definitely shines as Kevin Von Erich, a man struggling with keeping his family together and making his father proud was staggering. But also he, alongside Jeremy Allen White and Harrison Dickinson, they both as well had some amazing performances. Even with the little bit of screen time they had on the film, you can just feel the presence all the way to the Now at number three, we have Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Whether animation or not, this is cinema. The visuals, voice performances, new fleshed out characters, along with a fun booming soundtrack. I cannot wait for a beyond. Number two, we have Oppenheimer. And this was one of the best experiences I've had at a film last year. That stacked cast giving their all for an almost three hour film. <laughs> the beautifully composed score that I have in rotation. And I can definitely see Oppenheimer being an Oscar champion. Killian Murphy, definitely for the one. And for last and not least, the definite cherry on top, we have Killers of the Flower Moon. This film blew me away. Scorsese had me glued in my seat for over three hours and somehow I still wanted more. Lily Gladstone, that was another one as well who kept me engaged and intrigued and I did not want the film to end and I cannot wait to see her win Best Actress. I hope you guys enjoyed my top five of 2023 and i can't wait to come back for my top five of 2024 here's to a new year hello everyone chris moravia here speaking to any recurring listeners of the sif pop writers room podcast this will likely be the first time you'll have ever heard from me given that i am a relatively new addition to the website and only joined a few months back it's within that short time that i've grown unbelievably appreciative and fortunate to be a part of such a welcoming community of individuals who all care about and share the same interests that I do. That being the modern landscape of pop culture and entertainment and everything those two things can provide. I doubt this is nothing that you probably haven't already heard before listening to this program, but anyone out there who possibly has ever felt a desire to share their own thoughts, feelings, or opinions with others in the form of a written article, I'd highly recommend reaching out to the Pop website possibly giving it a try and seeing if it just might happen to be your thing, as it was with mine. It's in my personal opinion that 2023 was ultimately a pretty slam dunk year. There was a lot to be offered in terms of interesting films that not only had a lot to say, but were incredibly entertaining and certainly merit being seen by movie lovers alike. 
In regards to my personal five favorite films of the year, and keep in mind this is purely subjective, the commonly shared thread that I've found between them is how human they feel. Stories that come from all over the world, from directors of different backgrounds that arrive at the same endpoint, inciting a emotional reaction from me that, frankly, I wouldn't change for anything. So, with that being said, my five favorite films of the year, in chronological order, that is, are Showing Up, directed by Kelly Reichardt, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, directed by Daniel Goldhabert, Return to Soul, directed by David Chow, The Killer, directed by David Fincher, and Monster, directed by Hirokazu Koreeda. If you followed my coverage on the Chicago International Film Festival from a few months ago, you'll certainly remember my praise for that top selection in Monster. Surprisingly enough, I actually got the chance to rewatch the film in theaters, and it gives me great pleasure to be able to double down on my initial reading of the film. It is a truly beautiful and yet slightly haunting picture that I surely won't forget anytime soon. In regards to my other submissions for the 50s, rest assured, the level of quality between them is staggering, to say the least. Despite how different these stories may be, whether we're talking about the mundanity of being an artist, fighting for the causes you believe in, trying to understand your place in the world, or, frankly, just being a very cool and slick, hyper-stylized action film, they all certainly level up to being some of my absolute favorites of the year. That looks to be all the time I have for now. In the meantime, continue to support the Pop website. There's a lot of great work to be found on there. I'll have a review of Ava DuVernay's Origin coming out in the following week or so. So be on the lookout for that, I suppose. That about wraps up our time for now. To all the listeners, I hope you've been having a wonderful year so far. And I look forward to being on the show in the future. Take care, everybody. Hi everyone, my name is Foster. Obviously I'm a writer for Sif Pop, but if you're on Letterboxd, you can come be friends with me over at F-O-S-T-H-101. So before I go into my top five, I want to give a quick shout out to The Zone of Interest, which for me in New York is a 2023 movie and would be my number four, but it's not eligible for this list since it hasn't released wide yet. It's not exactly a fun watch, but it's one that's stuck with me ever since I saw it, so I strongly recommend checking it out whenever A24 stops holding it hostage. As for the eligible movies of 2023, my number five is May-December. I just found this movie fascinating. I'm a big fan of performances, and this has three of my favorite of the year. I think the choice to present the true story through the lens of an actor who's researching the character she's going to play was such a cool choice, and I've never seen anything like it. Natalie Portman, Julianne Moore, Charles Melton are all amazing, and the scenes with Melton in particular are some of the most moving of the year. My number four is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I think that James Gunn's choice to center the story around Rocket Raccoon is really moving, and it's pretty novel, I think, for a superhero movie, especially one with a star like Chris Pratt at its center. I I think the characters here just felt like a family, and it unlocked this level of nostalgia for the Guardians that I didn't even realize I had. The movie's goofy, and it's corny, and it has silly jokes, and it's got all the cameos, but I think for me... The whole thing just comes from such a sincere place that even like six or seven months away from when I first saw it, it stands out to me as one of my favorite movies in the MCU and give me a year or two and I might just say it's my number one. My number three for the year is Oppenheimer for all the reasons I'm sure everyone else has already mentioned, so I won't say anymore. It's a masterpiece. My number two is Past Lives. 
I try not to have too high of expectations when walking into most movies because it's usually a recipe for disappointment, but I'll just say that Past Lives was able to meet all of my expectations and then some. And as much as I love the rest of my top five, it wasn't long after I walked out of the holdovers that I realized I had seen a new all-time favorite. It's got this incredible winter atmosphere, Paul Giamatti, Divine Joy Randolph, Dominic Sessa are all incredible, and it's simultaneously one of the funniest and most emotional movies of the year. The premise of three lonely people finding unexpected companionship with one another over the holiday season is such a special story. And even beyond my top five, there's still just so many other movies that I loved from this year that I want to mention. Godzilla Minus One, Anatomy of a Fall, Across the Spider-Verse, The Iron Claw, I loved the Wes Anderson shorts that came on Netflix, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, Talk to Me, Bottoms. There's just so many great movies that came out this year, so I wanted to shout out a few of my favorites. All right, well, thank you for listening to me ramble into a microphone for four minutes. Hope you all are having a great day, and here's to a great year of movie watching in 2024. Hi, my name is Heath Lynch. I am a contributing writer with Sift Pop. You can follow me if you have any interest at the One Heath Bar on Letterboxd, or you can find me on my personal podcast, uh, which is called Franchise Paradiso. And I am here today to talk about the movies that I loved from 2023. Uh, I will do my top 10, 10 through 6 very briefly, and go in more detail 5 through 1. Number 10 is going to be The Quiet Girl, a film from Ireland that was actually eligible for last year's Oscars. Uh, It just got a wide release in America in 2023. Number 9, Asteroid City, the new Wes Anderson film. Number 8, Killers of the Flower Moon um, by the beloved and legendary Martin Scorsese. Number 7, Godzilla Minus One. Number six, The Iron Claw, the tragic wrestling family story. And my number five movie of the year is Blackberry. I saw this very early on in the year and I fell in love with it. And I've uh, rewatched it since then, months later, and my love still holds true. I think this is just a great film. It's kind of part of that uh, new genre of uh, money and business culture and following a certain product. Uh, I find Blackberry to be a little bit more fascinating, though, because it's not just the rise of a product, but it's also the fall of a product since Blackberry no longer exists. And I think the two lead performances from Glenn Howerton and Jay Baruchel are tremendous. Number four, I have The Holdovers. Just a really great, cozy movie. This is going to become an instant Christmas favorite of mine. I feel it. I'm going to start re-watching this year after year. Paul Giamatti is giving a tremendous performance. Uh, Dominic Sessa in his film debut is terrific. And Divine Joy Randolph is phenomenal in her supporting role. Just a, a film about love, support and uh, found family in difficult and trying times. Uh, I think it's beautiful. And then my number three film is Past Lives, um, a very moving personal film uh, from a directorial debut effort from Celine Song. Uh, This is a great film about memory, uh, about idealization of the past, what could have been and what is. It's just very moving, very profound, very relatable in many ways, even if you haven't had this exact experience. Uh, Just a great film. Number two, I have Barbie. I love its messaging, even if it's very blunt. It's, I found the way it was executed to be very enjoyable. I thought the choreography, the costumes, the production value, everything here was great. The movie's funny as hell. I couldn't get enough of that Matchbox 20 uh, push segment on the beach i was laughing my butt off and my number one movie of the year oppenheimer 
Christopher Nolan's new film. That's right. My top two is uh, Barbenheimer. But Oppenheimer is my number one. Uh, I just think it's fantastic. Uh, great film. Uh, in many ways, it feels like Nolan's magnum opus, although it's not my personal favorite film of his. It feels like it's the culmination of his career in many ways. All the tricks of the trade he's learned throughout the years come together and coalesce into this brilliant feature um, that's not even really about the bombs. It's about the man. And that last hour when it gets very political is just fascinating. So uh, I loved it. I thought it was tremendous. Uh, Oppenheimer is my number one film of 2023. Hello, everyone. It is uh, Jack here, Jack Grimmy, um, at Jack Grimmy on Letterboxd, at Jack underscore Grimmy on, on X or Twitter. Um, coming at you guys. I have a little bit of a cold. Not going to stop me from recording this for Sif Bop here. Um, top five movies. Going to waste no time diving right into it. Starting at five, going all the way down. Um, Godzilla minus one, easily one of the biggest shocks of the year, right? Like there are some of these movies that I've connected with to, to varying degrees, enjoyed a, a Kong movie here and there, enjoyed a Godzilla movie every now and then, but this was something truly special. And just the fact that the visuals, you know, the sound, everything like that was perfectly, perfectly done. And then on top of that, we have these incredible human themes that kind of guide the entire movie. Um, ultimately having these like, uh, over undercurrents of like pacifism and stuff like that is just really, really compelling. Um, number two, uh, guardians of the galaxy volume three had always been really connected with these characters. I am still very much of the opinion that guardians two is one of the more underrated movies of the MCU. And the, the theming there is also just airtight. And, um, the direction this last one took was a little bit shocking, but, um, incredibly impactful, um, meaningful, funny, not uh, James Gunn's humor doesn't always perfectly land with me, but this one was doing pretty good. And just the emotional beats, the characters, the conclusions, all worked for me pretty much perfect. Um, number three here, you know, we're on a little bit of a trend of franchises. Sorry, you know, I'm a product of the times, um, mission impossible seven, uh, dead reckoning part one. Um, everybody's at the top of their game here, right? Uh, stunts are bigger and better than ever. The, um, side characters are really, really great and well thought out here. Um, kind of allow us to, to highlight a lot of these other characters that we've been loving for so long. And that theme song is unlike anything you have ever heard in a movie theater. It, it's like just a shot of straight gasoline every time that comes on. It never will not hit. It's just a special experience. Um, number two, I would, I'm would i team Barbie over team Op I, I loved Oppenheimer. thought it's incredible. Just barely missed my list. But Barbie, for me, connected on many deeper levels that I wasn't expecting. Sure, it's it's probably the funniest movie of the year. Um, Margot Robbie and, and and Ryan Gosling are just knocking everything out of the part. Um, the park, the the surrounding cast are completely complimenting them and enhancing pretty much every bit. But um, what this has to say about about motherhood, about about womanhood, it was enlightening for me um, on an experience I'm not that personally familiar with. But it, it just really moved me connected me um to these characters in a way that i thought was incredible set design on point directing wasn't was incredible uh greta gerwig is just one that you got to look out for and um if you know me if you've heard me before spider-man it was just bound to come up spider-man's been my favorite character in fiction um, my entire life and spider-man across the spider-verse uh, just did not miss music incredible characters incredible i know some people have kind of gone back on this being 
too much of a part one uh, in kind of this era of part ones and part twos. I think as soon as I locked in on this movie as, as being from Gwen's perspective, her being our central character, and then finding those conclusions that Miles does come to, I think this is a, a near perfect movie uh, just coming short of its uh, of its predecessor in terms of quality. I think it's perfect. I think it's one of the most colorful things I've ever I've ever seen, and it works so well. Just quickly with these last 30 seconds, got to give a shout out. Didn't make my top 10. Poor Things, finally a Yorgos movie connected with me, and I think Emma Stone probably delivered the best performance of the year here. Um, technically, what she's doing with balancing these developmental stages is something I don't know if I've ever seen before, and I just hope it gets this the spotlight that it deserves because it's spectacular technical work, and it, it works on pretty much every level. She's doing spectacular, incredible work. Said that too many times. Thank you, guys. Hi, this is Jacob Kinman. You can follow me on Twitter at Jacob underscore Kinman. That's K-I-N-M-A-N, or on Letterboxd, at J.H. Kinman. Um, so at number five is where I have Maestro, Bradley Cooper's new movie, with him and Carey Mulligan in the two lead roles, and I liked Maestro a lot. It was uh, really well shot, uh, some incredible orchestrations in that movie. Um, Cooper and Mulligan are both fantastic in it. Another uh, movie in Bradley Cooper's filmography. It's a nice follow-up uh, from A Star is Born, so... Maestro. Number four is where I had The Holdovers, Alexander Payne's new movie starring Paul Giamatti, Dominic Sessa, and Davine Joy Randolph. I love this movie. It's a comfort movie for me now. It's a new favorite Christmas movie for me. I'm a really big Giamatti fan, really big Alexander Payne fan, and just had a lot of fun with this movie. And emotional beats and the comedic beats just blend together so well. And I, I thought all three lead performances were fantastic. Uh, at number three is where I have Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Fantastic animated movie. Such a good uh, voice cast in that as well. Incredibly well-crafted and really, really fun to watch. That opening scene makes me cry every time. I don't know why. It's uh, There's something about the colors. And, and the character, too. The characterization of Gwen. And, and all the incredible things they're doing with her character. Yeah, that's that's Across the Spider-Verse. Uh, at number two is where I have Killers of the Flower Moon, the new Martin Scorsese movie starring uh, Scorsese's longtime collaborator uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, his other longtime collaborator Robert De Niro, and uh, newcomer Lily Gladstone, who is a shoe-in to win Best Actress for my money this year. And uh, yeah, three incredible lead performances, good supporting cast... And that film, uh, yeah, just par for the course for Scorsese, you know? Just a really, really well-made movie. And at number one, I have uh, Oppenheimer, the new epic masterpiece from Christopher Nolan. I loved this movie. I thought it was incredibly well-made, incredibly paced, putting all the action and the leading up to the creation of the bomb and everything. And then, you know, the, the last hour of sort of the tension of the... Uh, the Robert Downey Jr. character and that stuff. And yeah, I think Killian Murphy's a shoe-in for Best Actor, and Oppenheimer's probably a shoe-in for Best Picture. Some honorable mentions that I'll mention quickly. I really liked Barbie, uh, Saltburn, Air, Past Lives, The Iron Claw, Godzilla Minus One, and Asteroid City. So uh, yeah, that's it for me. Shift Pop Writer JP here. With my top five, if you're interested in hearing more of my movie thoughts, you can follow me on Letterboxd at 
Jay Bourgeois. J-B-O-U-R-G-E-O-I-S. At number five, we're starting off with what may be a new holiday classic and is undoubtedly cozy, much to the director's chagrin. Sorry, Alexander Payne, for someone who doesn't want their movie labeled cozy, you certainly nailed the field. And the performances from Paul Giamatti and Divine Joy Randolph make this one you can't miss. At four, a quick detour to the only movie on this list that was involved in last year's Oscar window. I finally caught women talking a month ago. and it's everything people say it is. The discussions held at the isolated religious community are a powerful exploration of faith and forgiveness. It's a well-deserved Oscar winner for Best Adapted Screen and still one of the best ensembles of the year. Right up there with my number. When you go into a three-hour movie, what you're anticipating is over by the second hour, and the third hour still manages to steal the show, you know you've seen one of the year's best. Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer is certainly that. It's gorgeously shot and a fascinating look at one of history's most complicated men. Killian Murphy is giving a career best performance in the leading role in this epic about the Development of the atomic bomb and its political aftermath is one of Nolan Best. At two, one of the films I crossed off in the last week or so came so close to taking the top spot. Past Lives, Like Women Talking, lives up to its lofty expectations. It's a powerful directorial debut from Celine's song about relationships as well as two childhood friends that reconnect after 20 years. It's a film that lingers in everything it does, shots, and its dialogue, and how it will have you thinking about it when it's all over. As much as I love the rest of the films on this list, it wasn't particularly close. Across the Spider-Verse builds on everything that's great about the first film, expanding on the world, and further pushing the boundaries of animation. On top of that, it features some of the best performances of the year, voice acting or otherwise, particularly from Haley Steinfeld and Shamik Moore. It's number one with a bullet, and I can't wait to see them get the band back together. Honorable mentions go to The Iron Claw as a powerful film. I saw the day before recording this. And if you want more thoughts and detail from me on To Catch a Killer, head to SipBop. Thanks for listening and reading this past year. Hey everybody, contributing writer Jake Yort here to count down my favorite films of 2023. If you want to hear more of my thoughts outside of Sif Pop, you can follow me on Letterboxd, Yort. that's J-H-J-O-R-T. Now before I get into my five favorites, I do want to give out a special award for the first time this year. As a veteran technician and animal lover, I will be announcing my first annual Goodest Movie Dog Award. The nominees for this year are Legs from Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe, Snoop from Anatomy of a Fall, Cosmo from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Reggie from Strays, and the Dog-Duck Hybrid from Poor Things. And the winner is... Cosmo! You are, in fact, the goodest girl of 2023. Now, on to the main countdown. In fifth place, I have Nimona. 
featuring great vocal performances from Chloe Grace Moretz, Riz Ahmed, and Eugene Lee Yang, beautiful animation, and an even more beautiful story about acceptance and compassion. This is a great addition to Netflix's impressive roster of original animated films. In fourth place, I have another animated film in Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Although it may only be half of a film, it is the most visually stunning half of a film that I have ever seen. The true epitome of every frame of painting, there's so many shots and sequences that still sit with me today. However, it isn't just a pretty exterior with a hollow inside, as there's a great story of belonging within that I cannot wait to be secluded in the second half. In third place, I have American Fiction. Though this is the newest addition to my 2023 watch list, I don't think that there's any recency bias in play in this ranking, as it truly felt like a special experience when I was watching it. Unlike the many films today that stretch one story across two parts, American Fiction is the opposite and perfectly marries two different stories. One, a satirical take on what it means to be a black author and the pressure to capitalize on trauma to appease white audiences, and the other a deep and meaningful family drama. Jeffrey Wright is excellent in the starring role, and it's also easily the funniest film of the year for me. In second place, I have Oppenheimer. Christopher Nolan is one of my favorite directors working today, and this may very well be his magnum opus, a scintillating three-hour saga of J. Robert Oppenheimer's life and the creation and fallout of the atomic bomb. It is chock-full of visual and auditory spectacle, fantastic performances, and scenes that will leave you thinking for months. After watching this for the first time during Barbenheimer weekend, I knew that this would be hard to topple as my favorite film of the year. However, that will bring us to the number one film on my list, my favorite movie of 2023, The Holdovers. I was able to attend an early access screening in late October and went to it expecting to like it, but was blown away by how much I fell in love. A film about lonely, broken people learning to open up and prepare to live and love again. I cried, I laughed, and I found myself amazed with the empathy the film has for its characters. The Christmas setting is perfect for juxtaposing joy and grief, and this is easily one of the best holiday films of the 21st century. Paul Giamatti is giving the best performance of his career, alongside star-making roles from Divine Joy Randolph and newcomer Dominic Sessa appearing in his first ever acting role. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to me and everyone else here at Sif Pop. I sincerely hope that 2024 has many more great films in store for everyone. Hey everyone, Jason Mack here. I recently started doing video game streaming on YouTube, so find me at jmacvr. 2023 was a very unique year because I became a father right before it started, so I missed a lot of movies that I'm looking forward to getting to. Quick rundown of those that could end up in my top five. Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Killers of the Flower Moon, American Fiction, The Boy and the Heron, Talk to Me, John Wick Chapter 4, Asteroid City, Godzilla Minus One, Skinamarink, and Poor Things. And now into the top five. Number five, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. I thought this was sort of taking what if... Into the Spider-Verse was a Ninja Turtle story, but I thought casting actual teenagers and letting them riff with each other gave it such a fun dynamic. The art style, like I said, it felt like it was taking, not even borrowing from the Spider-Verse movies, but sort of seeing that they opened that door to that level of creativity to do new animation styles and just running with it. And it gave it a really fun vibe. At number four, I'm going with Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. This was just pure fun. I don't know if it was necessarily one of the five best movies of 2023, but I think it was one of the five most fun movies for sure. So much fun, so much charisma from the performances. I'm not anyone with any pre-existing knowledge of the Dungeons & Dragons universe, but I know for those people there was a lot of fun Easter eggs too, so just all around a great time. At number three, I'm going with Barbie. This one's been talked to death, so I don't have to go into it too much, but a lot of great themes, a lot of great acting, really vibrant color palettes and style and everything. Greta Gerwig just really knocked it out of the park. Great movie. Number two, referenced above, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I know a lot of people hate on this one for being an incomplete movie, 
but I would fire back against that. Number one, I think a lot of those same people probably give a lot of credit to Dune, which is very much half a movie. And I think you could really argue Across the Spider-Verse isn't half a movie. It has more story to come, but I think it tells a complete arc with Miles going from so desperate to become part of these spider people and really attaching his identity to being part of that community. And in the end, it's really more he realizes he has to be his own hero and do his own thing. And coming in at number one, I'm putting a movie that I'm pretty confident no one else is going to have on their list at all. And I really want to give it some love and see if we can get some people watching it. It was a Mexican movie called Radical. Uh, it stars Eugenio Derbez, who is more known for his comedy, but turns in a really great performance here that does have some comedy, has a lot of drama, and just has a lot of charm. Uh, this movie tells the story of a Mexican border town hit with corruption, poverty, and neglected school. And it's kind of like Dead Poets Society, but taking the privilege and replacing it with poverty. It's got an unorthodox teacher inspiring the children, the principal, and everyone else to drastically improve. It's a true story of him finding this treasure among the trash of the situation, which is fitting because the inspiration for the story is a true one about a student who was literally someone who dove through garbage looking for things to sell and ended up being this genius dubbed as the next Steve Jobs. And the movie doesn't break any molds really, but it nails every traditional beat while telling an important story. And another standout performance is Jennifer Trejo in her debut role as Paloma, who was the genius student. Uh, she highlights an ensemble of very believable child actor performances, which is so hard to nail. They did a great job casting this and getting the best performances they could out of those kids. A really great movie. I wish it would get some love for Best Foreign Picture. I don't think it will, but I highly recommend checking it out. Thanks, guys. I'm Raming, writer for Sip Pop, and this is my top five of the year. Number five, we have Poor Things. Poor Things is a movie that reminds me of a Stanley Kubrick film in that it's big and it's epic and bold, and underneath it is, I think, a lot of really interesting, almost like subconscious themes that, uh, unfortunately, we I, I didn't really feel like I, we got to explore or I got to explore because I, this is one of the last movies I saw this year. And unfortunately, I feel like I've only like seen the surface of what this movie is really about. And it's a movie that probably would be higher if I had more time to sit with it. But as award seasons go, a lot of the best movies of the year come out at the end. And there's so many movies this year that I wanted to see that just didn't get to because they were all pushed to the end of the year and there's just too much to see. Uh, but Poor Things was just a great experience. I think Emma Stone's going to win the Oscar. And uh, I am really interested to see where the discourse goes and what the legacy of this film will be, because I think there is going to be a big, uh, almost cult classic energy around this. And I'm interested to see what will happen when normal people <laughs> get a hold of this movie, quote unquote, normal people, people who aren't film fans. Number four, I have a cross verse there's not really much more I can say about this movie. I mean, I've seen this probably more than any other movie that came out this year. I've probably watched it six or seven times. Probably watched it twice since it came on Netflix and a couple of times before that too in the theaters. This is a groundbreaking movie for animation. The whole series is probably going to be one of the first like classic animated trilogies, I think. And I'm really excited to see where it goes. I feel like I'm probably like forgetting a very important animated trilogy that someone's going to be mad at me for. But anyway, number three is Barbie. If you told me at the beginning of the year that Barbie would in my top three, I, I would not have believed you. I'm, I'm surprised that it's here even still. Uh, but I've watched that movie a couple times and every time it, it just hits the same. I love that movie. I think it's hilarious. Besides Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling being great, I think it's amazing that uh, Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach were able to make this what feels like a really auteur-driven story, like a really personal story for them, 
and also have it be this billion dollar IP franchise that is on the surface of it very shallow. Uh, so for them to make a Barbie movie that was actually about something, I think was pretty impressive. And I know there's a lot of discourse about how, oh, maybe the gender politics could have been a little bit more fleshed out and it was a little too simple, but it's a Barbie movie. It could have been about nothing. <laughs> it could have been about the color pink. And I think the fact that they were able to make it about anything at all was impressive. At number two, we have Oppenheimer, which I am surprised not number one. We'll talk about when number one is later. It has a great cast. Christopher Nolan deserves to win that Best Director Oscar. Oppenheimer, it's great. It's the top movie of the year, basically, for most people. But my top movie of the year is Killers of the Flower Moon. This is a movie that's at number one, mainly because it's perfect. With Oppenheimer, I'm kind of in the camp of the third act a little bit too long. And then with Killers of the Flower Moon, it's 30 minutes longer, and I was engaged the whole time. That movie took me to that place in a way that no other movie did this year. And it's my number one because I just, I, like I said, I can't find anything, any imperfections in it at all. From the performances, cinematography, directing, I think it's as close to a perfect film as this year provided. Um, and I think it was an okay year for movies, uh, but not really as, as good as, as, as maybe 2022. And I'm hoping that 2024 has some surprises for us because honestly, it's not looking too great. Hey, it's John. Uh, at the time I'm recording this, a lot of the big award movies uh, haven't come out here in the UK yet. Um, so most of my top 10 is mostly just summer blockbusters. So I apologize for that, but that's just the way it is. Uh, so number five is Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. I've actually never played a single second of D&D, but uh, I still just thoroughly enjoyed um, this film. It's just a really good, fun action adventure story that takes place entirely in the D&D world. I wasn't sure they were going to go down that route uh, when I went into this film. I thought it was going to be like kind of never ending story. We were going to start out with some kids in our world and we would go into one of their campaigns. But it works much better just entirely in the D&D world. Uh, I'm sure there's a load of cameos and references to D&D in this that just went over my head. Um, but uh, they were also subtle enough that it did distract from the actual story. Uh, Chris Pines and Hugh Grant are really compelling in this. I just love Chris Pines and everything. And Hugh Grant seems to have found a new career as this sort of slimy villainous sort of character. Number four is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Um, I actually thought the comedy wasn't quite as strong as it is in the first film but uh, everything else about this is just so much better they've just taken everything that worked about the first film and stepped it up a notch i love the opening uh, with the background to uh, gwen stacy's spider woman uh, i want to see a spin-off movie about her now uh, i love the comic book style sort of humor that they have for this it still works really well in this and uh, I love the fact that they reference the meme of the two Spider-Men pointing at each other because I'm absolutely convinced that that's where the original inspiration for this series of films actually came from. Number three is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, I wouldn't have thought that the Guardians would work as like a more sort of gritty, dark and depressing kind of film, but it absolutely does work. Uh, I love the backstory they give to Rocket. I want to see a spin-off series on uh, Disney Plus about, you know, how he met Groot and, you know, just a whole sort of prequel series about him. Uh, I love the fact that they also emphasize the fact that that is not our Gamora. So her death in Infinity War still has some sort of significance because the Gamora we knew and the Gamora that has the history with Peter Quill uh, is still effectively dead. Uh, so I think that was a really important point to emphasize. And it's just a really sort of emotionally draining, but also really compelling experience, uh, really, from beginning to end. And a good balance with the Guardian style of comedy as well. Uh, number two is Barbie. Um, a good spiritual successor to the Lego movie, I thought. In fact, Will Ferrell actually plays a very similar character in this. Uh, it's got that sort of extra level of meta-humor than even the Lego movie had, I think. Uh, I particularly like the joke with the pretend shower that then has cold water coming out of it later on. Um, and also a lot of, like, good messages about... Uh, good 
to- message overall about society as a whole. Uh, my nieces were actually quite excited to see this film, and we had to sort of explain to them, "Oh, sorry, it's not actually a kids' film." And I also like the Aqua film is uh, the Aqua song rather is in the end credits because I gather Mattel actually weren't very happy with that song when it first came out. Uh, number one is Oppenheimer. Um, there have been a lot of films with like stacked casts in them in the past, but I think this probably sets a record for the most stacked cast ever in a film. Uh, I think we're going to have some acting nominations. Uh, award buzz uh, for this film which is unusual for a Nolan film but yeah Cillian Murphy and Robert Downey Jr in particular absolutely steal the show in this Uh, and I love the fact that it's very much about Oppenheimer and kind of painting him in a more sort of sympathetic light that even though he did create probably the most destructive thing that mankind has ever created uh, he didn't have any say over exactly how it was used and if he hadn't invented it somebody else probably would have done and uh, you know the fact that we have now used this weapon to destroy things has kind of had humanity learn a lesson in a very hard way, but learn a lesson nonetheless that, you know, we have to sort of prevent war for that exact reason. You know, that is what's going to happen if we just let humanity just do what they want uh, with these kinds of weapons. What is up, you guys? My name is Caleb Walters. I write for Sif Pop. You can follow me on Letterboxd at K.A. Walters. And here's my top five movies of this past year. At number five, I have Killers of the Flower Moon. I mean, Martin Scorsese, probably our greatest living director, kind of in the last part of his career. And man, is he going out with a bang. I mean, this movie was powerful. All the performances are incredible. Um, you know, the the mix of highlighting the tragedies and also like taking kind of ownership of the responsibility that, that white people have for, for the tragedies that have been done to Native Americans in this in this country is, uh, you know, I thought it was, it, like I said, it was just like really moving. And um, I think Lily Gladstone gives the probably the best performance of the whole year in terms of like any performance across any movie. Uh, she's just incredible. And I, you know, I hope she gets the Oscar for it because I think she deserves it. Uh, number four, I have the Iron Claw. Now I'm not a wrestling fan at all. I had no idea who the Von Erichs were, but as an older brother and the oldest of, of um, several siblings, um, gosh, this movie hit me like a ton of bricks. And I mean, I was so impressed with Zac Efron. I've always kind of suspected that he might have more more underneath in, in some of his performances than just being like the, the leading jock type. And uh, this kind of gives him a, a chance to do both. You know, he, he gets to use, I mean, all those muscles is like part of the performance, but at the same time he gets to show some more dramatic capabilities and man was he incredible in a just world he would get an oscar nomination for it i doubt it'll happen because um i don't know the rollout of this movie has been kind of weird for me 24 but man is this movie incredible it's so moving um the wrestling scenes are really well done and then the you know the human moments are really well done as well and number three i have past lives um man is this such an impressive debut from celine song the director i mean she gives like scenes time to breathe you know, there's a stillness and, and like a sentimentality to all the photography in it. And gosh, are the three lead performances all perfect? I think if any of the three are even a little bit worse, I'm not sure that the movie works because they're all likable. You, you know, you can kind of see where each character's coming from. Um, and I think that's why the story works so so well is no characters at fault you know it's kind of just the the circumstances that have taken place in their life that's led them to this moment i think that's why the movie is so moving um at number two i have across the spider-verse um you know i'm a huge fan of into the spider-verse and i you know i honestly wasn't sure how they'd follow it up and uh man did they blow me away the the animation was even better um 
you know, the story of Miles kind of growing up. They're just handling it really well. Um, but yeah, this, I mean, I don't know how you follow up a movie like Into the Spider-Verse and, the, and they pulled it off uh, really well. Um, I love this one. And then at number one, I have Oppenheimer, which probably a lot of people will have toward the top of their list. And, you know, part of me wants to be different, but gosh, this movie was so good. And I mean, even some of the side like characters that are a little lesser known, uh, actors are, are not as big build are still great you know like david crumholtz and alden ehrenreich and and guys like that i mean they only get a little bit of screen time and man do they use it and then you've got killian murphy and rdj just um knocking out of the park the cinematography is incredible the score is incredible i mean it's just like a three-hour powerhouse of a film that actually packs ideas in it too um which is just so impressive i haven't always been the biggest nolan fan and this is his best movie, in my opinion, by a wide margin. Uh, this is my favorite that he's ever done. So I was so blown away by this. I love this movie. And uh, that's why it's number one on my list. Hello and have a happy new year. My name is Luke and I'm here to talk about my top five movies of last year. So here we start with number five, Killers of the Flower Moon. Martin Scorsese directed another masterpiece. Well, that's a shock. But this movie is so much more. It's a story about a great injustice, about a weird love, and it's anchored by our three protagonists. Leo DiCaprio, Lily Gladstone, and Robert De Niro, who is the best he's been in the years. So definitely check it out if you haven't already. Number four is John Wick, chapter four, ironically. I don't know whether this will be Keanu's last appearance as this now legendary killer. But if so, he went out with a bang. The action set pieces are bigger than ever. They are stylish and so much fun to watch. If you only watch one action movie from the year 2023, make it this one and you will not regret it. Number three is Past Lives. This is a movie I didn't expect to hit me as much and yet it did. It's a tiny movie that feels greater than many blockbusters by having these incredible characters. But it's also one of the most beautiful what-if movies you will ever see. If you haven't seen this one yet, please do yourself a favor and watch it. Number two is Oppenheimer. Even after all the Barbenheimer memes died out, the feeling this movie gave me didn't. And it stayed with me until today. Oppenheimer would be a standout in any filmmaker's filmography and Nolan somehow managed to one-up himself again. I have not heard a movie theater as quiet as it was when the detonation happened. And then brings me to my number one movie of the last year, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I went in expecting to have a good time and ending up absolutely loving it. To the point I went back with a friend a few days later to rewatch it in a cinema. And I rarely do that, but in this case, it was worth it both times. Across the Spider-Verse is a masterpiece that knows what it wants to say and goes for it. I can't wait for the third movie to come out and I'll definitely be there opening day. But those are my thoughts and my five movies of the last year. Thank you and have a great 2024. 
What's up, everyone? My name is Mike Hilty, contributing writer for Sif Pop. You can follow me on Instagram, Blue Sky, or on Serialized at mlhilty2452 or mhilty24 on Letterboxd. You can also check out my podcast, Geek Speak Louder Than Nerds, with fellow contributor Nick Farrow. Here are my top five movies of 2023. My number five movie of 2023 is May December, sporting great performances from the three leads, Charles Melton, who does amazing work as Joe Yu, who is this boy who gets caught up in a relationship with his teacher when he's in seventh grade. Very reminds me a lot of the situation with Mary Kay Latrina, which obviously this takes a lot from. Julianne Moore is devastating as Gracie, and Natalie Portman just shows the predatory nature of of Hollywood and you know just what it does to people with in true crime. My number four is The Holdovers. Uh, there's just something about Alexander Payne and Paul Giamatti that it's just amazing work. Divide Joy Randolph just steals the show, though she does such amazing work. She's easily one of my favorite performances of the year. And to me, my front runner for the uh, Oscar for Best Supporting Actress, the relationship that uh, Paul Giamatti has with the character Angus, who is played by Dominic Sessa. Great stuff there. Really love the holdovers. My number three movie of the year is Killers of the Flower Moon. Lily Gladstone is just going toe-to-toe with DiCaprio, with De Niro. She's the revelation in this. I love the representation. I love the end of this, just how it ended uh, with that final sweeping shot. And also Scorsese, who just gets very personal and says, I'm not exactly the person who should be telling these stories, but, you know, I'm glad to at least be part of it. My number two movie of the year is Past Lives, a movie about two childhood friends who are deeply connected, but then they drift apart uh, after one of them emigrates from South Korea. Boy, the, the ending of this is just devastating to watch and just a great way to just showcase just the person that you are when you were younger, that's not the person that you are today. And if you could go back to those days, would you? It's a lot of amazing work. Just, I love everything about this. Uh, I love the music. Uh, that scene at the bar where they're talking, I, I really, really love that. My number one uh, movie of the year is Oppenheimer. Uh, Christopher Nolan just does it again. He directs uh, something that when when you think about it, it sounds kind of boring, but at the same time, Oppenheimer is one of those people in history that more people need to, need to know about because he did irreversibly change the world. Just I love the questions that come up with this. I love the, you know, the story beyond everything of the Manhattan Project. It's, you know, the acting and the performances in this are off the charts. I'm thinking at least two Oscars uh, for Robert Downey Jr. and, uh, Killian Murphy uh, for this just phenomenal work. And uh, yeah, this is my front runner also for uh, Best Picture uh, for the year. Since I mainly write TV show reviews, I'd be hard-pressed not to give at least my top 10 TV shows of the year. So my number 10, Twisted Metal. Number 9, Scott Pilgrim Takes Off. Number 8, Reservation Dogs. Number 7, Good Omens. Number 6, Silo. Number 5, Gen V. Number 4, Shrinking. Number 3, The Last of Us. Number 2, Succession. And number 1 movie of the year, The Bear. Thanks, everyone. Hello to all the wonderful Sif Pop listeners. It is I, Nashua Dahl. 
um, before I get into my top five favorite movies of 2023, if you want to follow me on Letterboxd, it's at Nash underscore doll. Trying to have some fun over there. Come join the party. So my top five favorite movies of 2023 are starting with number five, The Iron Claw. No other movie elicited a more intense emotional response as The Iron Claw did. And to say that in a year like 2023, when so many movies were good, says a lot. It's impressive. So number five, let's go. Number four, Rye Lane. Rye Lane is a good romantic comedy. It's also a really good movie, particularly because it innovates within the genre of romantic comedy, or it feels like it does. It looks great. The actors are incredible. It has one of my favorite cameos of all year in it. And it feels like the type of movie that people, or first of all, it feels like the type of movie that I will watch a lot in the future. And second of all, it is a movie that people will watch and want to make movies like. So we're going to get more cool romantic comedies down the road, which is a win. Number three, Killers of the Flower Moon. Michael Scorsese is basically the, the LeBron James of cinema, like been good since A1 Day 1, still good, and is arguably more impressive now because he's doing it so many years later and the averages aren't going down. Martin Scorsese, when you look back on his career, there's like, you can have personal favorite periods, but like, where do you say his actual peak was? Because it's just a full career of peak. He's great. And the movie's good too. (laughs) Number two. The Holdovers. I don't know what it says about me, but The Holdovers like perfectly encapsulates how I feel oftentimes in that weird three-week period, three to four-week period at the end of the year for the holidays. It's like a mixture of melancholy and funny. There's some joy there. There's some love and happiness, but there's also some pain, some hurt. It's so good. It's vintage Alexander Payne, and it's three incredible performances from a young actor, a veteran actor, and somebody who's bursting onto the scene right now. So that's awesome. Number two. And number one, past lives. I mean, it's always been past lives. Anybody who knows me knows that this was going to be past lives because I called my shot when I walked out of the theater almost a year ago, 10 months ago, and was like, I think it's going to be my favorite movie of the year. And I'm not trying to prove myself right (laughs) but i'm right because i don't think i think about any movie more than i think about past lives i think about past lives every single day probably if not multiple times a day it is a debut performance from a writer director or sorry a debut film from a writer director in a year that i feel like had a lot of young talented directors and writers and actors really break out with some really meaty roles and then the movie is just thought-provoking as hell and brought me so much love and pain and joy. And it not only is one of the best movies of 2023, it will move up my all-time favorite lists where it currently sits already at a pretty high position. So to say that about a movie, number one, baby. 2023 was a really great year for movies, in my opinion. And I think we got a lot of wins It made me excited for the future of cinema to see the type of movies that we had coming out. Also, really great year for Sif Pop. Really happy uh, the relationships that I have garnered through the time writing and contributing to Sif Pop, but also Sif Pop itself. It's 
a really cool community where a lot of really talented people. And I'm really excited for where we're going in the future. Hi, everybody. This is Nick Farrow. If you'd like to follow, I'm at Jagged2319. I'm also available at Geek Speak Loud for my own show on most social media platforms. Here are my top five movies of 2023. At number five, it took me a minute to decide on this one. It was close. Ninja Turtles almost squeaked in there, but I ended up going with the Barbie movie. It was just a super fun movie experience for me this year. We got to the theater. There were tons of people dressed up for Barbie as well as Oppenheimer. There was a huge Barbenheimer opening weekend at my theater. So it was it was a blast. But then the movie was fun too. I'm Just Ken has slowly creeped into my brain as like the song that I'm playing on repeat. So excellent, excellent movie. Number four is the Netflix animated movie, Nimona. This movie came out of nowhere in the summer, and I found it because my middle daughter just absolutely fell in love with it. She looked at Nimona and said, hey, she's like me. She's crazy. And I'm like, okay, I need to see what this movie is. And we watched it for a family movie night, and it's just a really well-done movie about belonging and being an outsider and it's beautiful animation that deserves all the attention and acclaim and I'm really hoping that it has Oscar chances this year in the best animated category. My number three is The Holdovers. It really creeped up my list fast. Like I saw it and it was maybe around number 15 and then I thought about it and I bumped it up and then I saw it again and I bumped it up even further. So like, it's just a really sweet tale of found family, people who don't get along, finding common ground with each other and just coming together at the holidays, which was surprising. It's nice to have like a new like holiday movie that isn't exclusively Christmas, but it's definitely a holiday movie. Um, but just excellent performances. I have my fingers crossed for Divine Joy Randolph uh, winning the Oscar. She is just so amazing in this movie. And I actually really want Paul Giamatti to get some recognition too, because it's about time that he gets something. My number two, and this one was actually my number one for a really long time, like almost the entire year, until last week I had to switch it. But my number two is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. This movie was a blast. It, the Guardians trilogy as a whole is just so well done, and this capped it off nicely. I just really connected with the Rocket story. The soundtrack in this one really hit hard for me, and uh, it was just a really nice way to say goodbye to this version of these characters. So that brings us to our number one, and I'm sure like last year, after hearing Everything Everywhere All at Once 400 times, you're probably going to hear this one just as many, and that is Oppenheimer. It is my absolute favorite movie of the year. I decided on that after re-watching it just the other day, and within less than 24 hours, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I want to watch it again, and that never happens. It's one of those movies, and it's three hours long, and I just, I wanted to watch it again, because I loved listening to everybody in it talk. There are so many big names, so many amazing performances that just show up for five seconds in this movie, and then you don't see him again. They even managed to bring Harry Truman back from the dead to make a cameo in this movie. It was insane. So, 
Oppenheimer is my favorite of the year. So that is my top five for the year, and I hope you enjoyed them as well. Bye, everybody. Hello, this is Robert, the other editor at SifPop.com, and here are my top five movies of 2023. At number five, I have Killers of the Flower Moon. It didn't completely soar into my top five Scorsese movies like I hoped it would, but let's be honest, that's a high bar. But it did easily slide into my top five movies of 2023, and that's largely because of its ending. The rest of the movie is incredibly difficult to watch and incredibly important as well. But Scorsese's ultimate indictment of himself for making a movie like this is what makes it extra special. He knows it isn't really his story to tell, his perspective on the true events of the calculated slaughter of the native people is inherently limited, and it's time we get stories about natives from native perspective. And his final shot emphasizes the beauty of their culture, and how after so much death and tragedy in the last 600 plus years, as the movie is telling the story of this one place at this one point in time, it's a microcosm of American history. They're still a vibrant and beautiful people. At number four, I have Anatomy of a Fall. This is a courtroom whodunit that isn't really treated like one, because in reality, it's about the way that relationships become broken as people age together but separately, and how that seeps into every aspect of their life. But at the same time, it's an incredibly compelling courtroom whodunit. I'd never heard of Sandra Huller before this movie, but she gives one of my favorite performances of the year, and Antoine Reinhardt is my favorite sassy prosecutor in any movie ever. French courts look wild. At number three, I have Past Lives, a movie that is small and calm but will stick with you for a long time. Writer-director Celine Song crafted a gentle movie about the impression that things make on us when we're young, full of subtle and natural imagery. There's a moment when a cloud covers the sun as a camera looks out the window, and it's one of the most simple and effective shots I've ever seen. Greta Lee, Teo Yu, and John Magaro are all amazing in what are basically the only roles of the movie. And this also has a crushing final scene. Just love it. Number two, I have Oppenheimer. I'm not going to belabor this too much because I know everyone loved Oppenheimer, but it's amazing. It's three straight hours of unrelenting dialogue scenes that are as exciting as any action Nolan has ever staged, in no small part thanks to the Ludwig Gorenson score. And at the end, it's almost as harrowing as trying to figure out why in the world people like Tenet. And at number one, I have Asteroid City. I've seen it three times now, and I've loved it more each time. Wes Anderson has a certain style, yes, but within that style, he continues to evolve. He cuts his way deeply into human emotions in a way that only he can, with his characters hardly feeling like people, but because they don't know how to feel like people. That relatable notion is made even cozier with his dryly hilarious script and always immaculate ensemble cast. And of course, the alien who is the best character in any movie this year. Just remember, you can't wake up if you don't fall asleep. And since I have a little bit of time left, I want to give special shout-outs to two 2023 movies that unfortunately weren't released wide, but absolutely would be in my top five if they had been. First, The Zone of Interest is about a Nazi family living next to the Auschwitz concentration camp during World War II. It's about what's horrific for us being mundane for these people, like the unspeakable atrocities of the Holocaust, and what's mundane for us being horrific for them, like kids accidentally dripping water from their bathing suits onto the floor in the house. I don't want to say much more because so few people have seen it, but with the movie's framing and sound design, it is an absolute must-watch. And All of the Strangers is one that I saw in a sold-out theater, and which I also don't want to say too much about. All I knew going in was that it starred Andrew Scott, Paul Meskel, Claire Foy, and Jamie Bell, and was directed by Andrew Haig, whose movie Weekend is amazing. All of the Strangers is also amazing, and got the most visceral emotional reaction out of me out of any movie ever. That's how good and moving it is. I can't wait for more people to be able to see these movies. But until they can, you can find me co-hosting the Also See podcast every Thursday on Sif Pop Writers or Review Roundup on this very feed on the first Saturday of every month and talking to Not That Aaron on the GOATS episodes, which coincidentally comes out next week. But until the next time you hear from me, I've got to get back to the writer's room. Hello, I'm Rowan Wood. Uh, you can find uh, some of my writing at knockonwoodfilm.com. Uh, and you can also check me out on Letterboxd at Rowan Aboat and on Twitter at Bits of Joel. Uh, my number five for 2023 is Bottoms, uh, the return 
of the weird, wacky, surreal, R-rated comedy that's set in a very unique world with a cast and crew that is just all in and just ready to go absolutely insane. I loved it. Uh, number four is Oppenheimer. I mean, it's, 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 it's a tension machine somehow sustained for three hours that fly by like it's no time at all. Um, you know, like a lot of people have said that this might be Christopher Nolan's opus, uh, and I am very close to believing them now. Uh, I should probably watch this again. Next up is Godzilla Minus One, uh, which was a huge surprise this year. I mean, I only heard about it very soon before, uh, like very soon before I saw it, um, and I I just can't believe that it swept uh, the United States the way it did. Uh, it 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 manages to be very very unique um, from the uh, legendary Godzilla films, uh, like Godzilla versus Kong and King of the Monsters, um, and just. Uh, like I know it's been said before, but it it connects with the human element a lot more, which is what the Toho Godzilla movies uh, have been very very good at. Uh, it's emotionally affecting. It like the, it, the visual effects are fantastic. It's directed very well, uh, and it made me cry, uh, which I never thought I would say a Godzilla movie uh, could make me do. Uh, next up is The Holdovers. Um, as uh, our friend Foster wrote in his review, uh, I will be the millionth person uh, to call this movie cozy. Because uh, it is. It's cozy. It's comfortable. It's it's so sweet. Uh, and, like, it feels familiar but in a fresh way. Um, Paul Giamatti, Dominic Sessa, Divine Joy Randolph, the three leads are absolutely fantastic. You love watching them. You love just kind of hanging out with them and watching them banter back and forth. God, I love this movie. I watched it again uh, last night. It is just phenomenal. Uh, and my number one of 2023 is Past Lives, um, which is very much a very much an understated um, masterpiece. But this is a movie that I, I very sincerely hope will be taught in film schools as soon as possible, um, because it's it's at, at least for me it was a profound experience. I, I was blown away at first, but I came to realize that it's it, it's one of the most human movies I've ever seen. Like created with just such an undeniable authenticity and masterful subtlety that that gives you an emotionally tangible experience. Um, and it's it's shot very well. Like it's just very understated. Everyone is at the top of their game. I, I I still can't wrap my head around the fact that this is a directorial debut. This is Celine Song's first ever movie, and I really can't wait to see what she does next. Um, I also want to shout out All of Us Strangers and The Zone of Interest, which would have made my top five and top ten, uh, respectively, um, had they been eligible uh, for this Sif uh, Pop list, uh, but those are also incredibly fantastic, so you should definitely check those out as well. Salutations, Sif Poppers. It's Sam, Sif Pop writer slash contributor. Wanted to give you my top five movies of the year. Start off with number five, The Holdovers. I honestly think this is going to become a Christmas classic. In a couple of years here, it's so earnest and loving and has a sense of magic that, honestly, most Christmas movies nowadays do not have. Number four, Oppenheimer. Just terrific filmmaking by Christopher Nolan. He did it again, and this is arguably his best work with the story of an American Prometheus 
Cillian Murphy is terrific. Emily Blunt, Robert Downey Jr. Just an absolutely loaded cast all the way on down. Very, very, very much loved this flick. Number three, Past Lives. Greta Lee is amazing in this movie. If it wasn't for some other terrific performances this year by Emma Stone and Lily Gladstone, I would say she would be fully deserving of the Best Actress Oscar. I hope she at least gets nominated. I know the Oscars are stupid. We all know that. Number two, Talk to Me, the horror movie from July from Australia. Really touching movie about grief and what it does to you if you let it consume you. And just excellently made. It actually scared me, not in the sense that I was frightened of what might happen, but the sense of if I had the opportunity to speak to somebody from beyond the grave who was a loved one, would I risk it all for that opportunity? And it's a question I still can't really answer. And number one, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Amazing visual experience, great story, amazing ensemble cast of voice actors, great work all in all. It's still my number one movie of the year. I'm ashamed I haven't watched it on the Blu-ray that I bought of it when it was released. But number one movie of the year. I'm going to take this time to tell you about the worst movie of the year as well. Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey is an abomination to film, and I can't believe that they let that movie get made and somebody put money behind that. I'm ashamed that I watched it. And I know with these beloved figures going into the public domain, people have the opportunity to tell unique stories with these characters, but for the love of God, I don't need to see Winnie the Pooh with a chainsaw or a knife or an axe. I'm just not interested. Please don't do this to me. Just let it be a normal movie-going experience. Please, please stop this. I'm so upset by it. Thank you, everybody. Happy New Year. Greetings, Scott Batchelor here, and here are my top five films of 2023. Coming in at number five is the movie Air. This is a true actor's movie. Matt Damon leads this all-star cast as he is the sole person who believes in Nike enough to try and sell his pie-in-the-sky ideas to his heirness, Michael Jordan himself. Ben Affleck, of course, plays a supporting role, but I believe it's really Jason Bateman is the true star of this film as he really lays out what is at stake for him. It is easy to say that this is one big advertisement for Nike, and sure, okay, yeah, it is. But it's also an amazing story about a man with his back against the wall and with nothing to lose, shoots one more shot to win it all. Four billion dollars later, I'll let you decide if it was a swish. Coming in at number four is Saw X. Last year, I put Scream 5 as one of the best movies of the year for continuing a once-dead franchise with a great outing, and I feel it's only right to show the same love to Saw X. This is set between the first two Saw films. Tommy Bell returns in the prequel and continues to crush it as an iconic Jin Saw. This time he is much more than just a voice or a flashback exposition machine. He's able to show a range of emotions as he's going through the turmoil of trying to cure his cancer, which actually encourages you to root for him and against his victims. It's marvelous. Coming in at number three is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. James Gunn's glorious end to a near-perfect trilogy, the MCU doesn't have a great track record of trilogies, which makes this movie all that much more impressive. There's, uh, I'm going to go to a little bit of spoilers for the end here, but at the end of this film, the movie moved me in ways I was not expecting. It hit all the right notes and actually left me wanting more of the characters while appreciating that some of their journeys are over. Coming in at number two is Oppenheimer. 
I'm about as far from understanding the science of an atomic bomb, and this movie doesn't help me understand it any more than I did going in, but I sure was entertained. This is an amazing film told in such a way that you can't wait to see where the next scene takes you. Christopher Nolan very deliberately plays with the story structure, weaving in and out of different time periods to keep the movie engaging. He tells multiple stories about the same event, leading to three or four different climaxes that all come to a head about at the same time. After everything comes crashing down, you're left his head spinning, much like the rest of the world when it learned what true destruction looks like. And the best movie of 2023 is Barbie. It's a movie based on a toy that has no right to be as good as it is. Sure, movies based on toys have made all the money before, Transformers and, you know, actually I guess Toy Story, but Barbie isn't just fine or passable, it's great. The message may be a little hand-fisted, but I'm not seeing any other movie talk to women this way. It's talking women up instead of talking down to women. It's actually talking down to men, having me as a man kind of look around and really put myself in a woman's shoes for a change. The women in my life who I've talked about this movie with have always talked about how awesome it is to hear the versions of the conversations they have with each other actually make it to the big screen. And as a man, it was my job just to listen to the message and learn from what they have to say, while also being able to have a laugh or two, or even a hundred. Hello everyone, it's Shane Kanto, your Wasteland reviewer, and I'm very happy to join for this special episode of the Civ Pop Writers Room as I give my contribution of my top five films from 2023. And if you want to check out more things that I do, make sure to go over to the Wasteland Reviewer Instagram page where I shamelessly plug all the things that I do from the different podcasts that I do from writing here at Sif Pop along with other websites and other podcasts that I do. But most importantly, head over to the Wasteland Reviewer YouTube channel where I review basically anything and everything. So dive in, enjoy, and check out all of my great content. But for this year, 2023, my favorite film, starting with my number five, is The Boy and the Heron. Hayao Miyazaki is back and better than ever with this absolutely gorgeous, affecting film that just breathes so much life into its bird-centric world that it has from cleaver-wielding uh, par uh, parakeets and gravelly-voiced herons as this young boy who loses his mother in a very fiery, intense opening sequence must learn how to open himself up to a new family and go on a great journey, and that's one of the most special things about this particular film. My number four is Killers of the Flower Moon, which is Martin Scorsese's magnum opus for many, and just might, it's not quite there for me, but it is a great masterpiece, this western, this sprawling, gorgeous film with incredible cinematography from Rodrigo Prieto, a great score from the late, great Robbie Robertson. But it's this trio of actors, as we see Lily Gladstone as Molly, who is struggling with her people through horrors and horrors that are levied upon them from a despicable monster, Robert De Niro, in one of the best performances he's given a long time, and all through the Scorsese familiar way of looking at despicable white men and their ambitions and what it does destroying the lives around them as we see this great performance from Leonardo DiCaprio. This is an important film, probably Scorsese's most important, and that's what's so impactful about it. My number three, Yorgos Lanthimos's 
poor things. This reimagining of Frankenstein and Pinocchio all rolled into one, with its incredible steampunk and strange and offbeat production design and costuming and score and cinematography. And Emma Stone giving one of the best performances I've seen in film, period, as this evolving woman who's put through the ringer and learning all the, there is to live about life and to be one with oneself. And there's so much depth and quirk to this film. It's an absolutely crazy, horny, and wondrous experience. My number two, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. This is an R-rated three-hour biopic that somehow made $950 million worldwide because it is an incredible feat. This is cinema in motion, Killian Murphy and Robert Downey Jr. and Emily Blunt and all this cast giving incredible performances. And number one, The Iron Claw, the story of the Von Erich family, this tragic, tragic tale with incredible performances an artful direction, and just an absolutely emotional gut punch of an experience from start to finish. But those are my films. Make sure to go check them out, and thank you for listening to Sip Bop Writer's Room. Well, there you have it, our writers' top five films of the year, at least most of them. Uh, and now we'll tally up all the points and kind of come up with a definitive list. So if you're new here, the way this works is that I've taken everybody's top five and I've done the math to figure out uh, just a point system that works. So if somebody voted for something at number five, it gets one point. If they voted for something at number one, it gets five points. So it kind of goes into sending order point system value. And then I, I take it all and I add it all up and I figure out the math. So you don't have to. I just get to tell you and you just get to trust my math. But if somebody really wants to doubt me, it probably doesn't matter too much in the long scheme anyway. But um, you go ahead and waste your time. Okay. Uh, all the films that are mentioned here rank by point value. I've taken them by if they share the same point, I list them in alphabetical order. And then we go from the lowest number of points to the highest number of points. And I just want to emphasize that just because a film has a low number of points doesn't mean the film is bad by any means. This is still in at least one of our writers' top uh, five favorite films of the year, which is an accomplishment because our writers like to watch movies. So... Uh, the films that uh, received one point, which means it was only on one person's list, and it was it the number five spot, are as follows. Air, Blackberry, Bottoms, The Boy and the Heron, The Color Purple, A Man Called Otto, Maestro, Radical, Saltburn, Showing Up, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. The films receiving two points, meaning that they were either two people's number five pick or one person's number four pick, are Anatomy of a Fall, how to Blow Up a Pipeline, May, December, Rye Lane, Saw X, and Women Talking. I really hope that we remember the film's uh, zone of interest and all of us strangers when it comes time to next year, just because I feel like Women Talking is a great film and it's just the way that it works. It wasn't widely available, I think, until February for most people last year. So this is your annual reminder, Sif Pop writers, please remember some of the films that are coming out right now that are technically this season award eligible for next year. Okay. On to our points three system, uh, American Fiction, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1, Nimona, and Return to Soul. Movies receiving four points are Godzilla Minus One, John Wick Chapter 4, The Killer, and Talk to Me. Movies receiving five points are Asteroid City and Monster. Movies receiving eight points, uh, it's just Poor Things. Uh, we are down to one per each point system now, so Poor Things with eight points. The Iron Claw with 10 points coming in there. 
Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 receiving 16 points. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon receiving 25 points. And into our top five receiving 29 points is The Holdovers. Receiving 30 points is Barbie. Receiving 37 points is Past Lives. Receiving 46 points is uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And with an astounding 78 points, you all probably knew it was coming based off of how many times you heard this word, but Oppenheimer. So I don't think it was quite as much of a blowout as it was last year with everything everywhere all at once, but um, I do think uh, that still is a pretty clear number one pick. Uh, but a lot of things threw me sir, for a surprise. You know, I'm, I'm honestly shocked and happy that Past Lives made it um, in the top three and um, surprised that the holdovers in Barbie was as close as it was. Um, shocked the Iron Claw didn't get as many uh, points and uh, shocked that Guardians also got so high. So um, anyway, uh, lots of things there to be shocked and out of out of with all not quite getting as much love as I expected it to. But it's just the way the wor- world works. And again, I think this is indicative of our favorite movies of the year. And that's going to be um, obviously a little bit surprising sometimes. And we only give point systems based off the top five. So um, that's just, I guess, the way that it works. Um, so... That is a wrap on this top five episode, but real quick before we officially wrap up, a few thanks used, thank yous to make. Uh, number one is my wife, who doesn't listen to the podcast, but does allow me to do this every single week, uh, and I'm grateful for her for that. Uh, for the writers for sending in their audio, really appreciate you guys uh, taking the time to get that in so we can all enjoy this episode together. Um, the writers, though... Uh, including those who didn't send in the audio uh, for all of their hard work in 2023. Anybody who's contributed to the website in some way, um, you know, there would be nothing for Robert and I to edit um, without you guys. And, um, or at least there would be significantly less. And uh, just really appreciate all your work in 2023, making it um, a great year for us, uh, both community-wise and uh, statistic-wise. That. Um, thank you to Heath for uh, his work uh, on Letterboxd. Um, and thank you to Nash for his work on taking over social media interactions uh, this year. Um, and excited to kind of see where that goes. Uh, thank you to Robert for being a great editing partner um, and for joining me once a month on the podcast uh, to talk about um, some movies that might be considered the best of all time. Um, a thank you to Joe for joining me once on the podcast, talking about some nerd culture films. A big thank you for Phil for publishing the episode every single week. Um, a big thank you to anyone who has ever been over on Patreon. Reminder, patreon.com slash sifpopwr. Really appreciate the support over there. Uh, a big thank you to Aaron Dicer for starting Civ Pop and uh, guiding the website and podcast into existence um, and helping kind of hone um, this to be what it is today. And uh, uh, the biggest thank you to anyone who has ever listened to an episode. Super appreciative of you. Again, I do this podcast for me at this point and I have a lot of fun with it. And if you're along for the ride, that just makes me really happy. Um, but if you have suggestions, of course, any comments, questions, feedback, Feel free to send that uh, to uh, writersroom at sifpop.com. Sifpop Writers Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. Uh, you can check out other great shows at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. If you're listening over on iTunes or Spotify, please give us a rating. That would be super helpful. Uh, five stars, one star, I don't care. Just ratings are great um, because they help me kind of evaluate if you're enjoying the show or not. Uh, so there's that. Um, you can follow me on social media places at Schweitcastle, wherever you feel like doing that. Letterboxd would be the one that I would say um, is the most appropriate. 
Next week, come back with Robert and Samuel. Uh, we're going to be talking about breakfast at Tiffany's for the aforementioned Goats Weeks. Uh, we'll be discussing whether or not that one's a goat. So I'm excited to check that one out for the first time. And getting back to our crossing movies off of my watch list. It's a big week coming out in two weeks. Uh, we have Jack and Nash joining me to talk about Up in the Air, Slumdog Millionaire, and Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Um, really excited for both these episodes coming up and for all the episodes we have coming up in 2024 now. It's going to be a good year. I'm excited for the website, excited for the podcast, and excited to see what this episode looks like in a year's time um, to kind of see what um, what are some of the best movies of the year. Hopefully, um, it is a great year for movie watching um, and for whew, something, I don't know. Whatever, that feels like a good place to end it. All right, see you guys next week with Robert and Samuel.